Hello and welcome to the History of Modern Greece. I'm your host, Daniel Roberts, and I'm here with my father, George, and our theme music is brought to you by Mark Youngerman. This is a podcast that covers the events from the fall of ancient Greece to the modern day. This is episode 27, The Fall of Rome. In 450, Emperor Theodosius II fell from his horse and suffered a serious spinal injury. In his final days, he managed to patch things up with his sister Pulcheria, and after Theodosius II died, she married Marcion and elevated him to the position of the Roman emperor in the east. Because Pulcheria swore an oath of virginity, she never gave Marcion an heir. The first act of Emperor Marcion was the ending of all tribute to be sent to Attila the Hun. It was a lot of money, and the Huns were not to be trusted. Plus, there were already rumors that Attila was planning a large-scale invasion in the west, and therefore wouldn't be able to punish the Romans until their campaign was over. Emperor Marcion also had to win the favor with the senators, as he wasn't exactly the most legitimate emperor. So he slashed their taxes, and the rich and powerful immediately favored him. He also abolished the rule that said senators had to marry within a certain class. Now senators could really marry any woman they wanted, as long as they were respectable. His reign as emperor was mostly about replenishing the treasury. So he also cut the food subsidies to the populace. With a lot of the money saved from no longer paying the Huns or the poor, he was able to fix a lot of crumbling infrastructure like the aqueducts and bridges. His reign was relatively peaceful as he spent most of his time saving money and rebuilding his portion of the empire. Meanwhile, in the Western Roman Empire, in the Italian city of Ravenna, a young beautiful noblewoman named Honoria, sister of the Western Roman Emperor, had an affair with a servant and became pregnant. When her brother found out, he had the servant executed immediately, and to punish Honoria, he betrothed her to an unpleasant nobleman, to say the least. This move by her brother infuriated her so much that she wrote a letter and gave it to one of her servants and told them to take it directly to Attila the Hun's court. The rider traveled all the way north through the Alps to Attila's palace in Hungary. It was a marriage proposal from Honoria to Attila the Hun as well as her own bracelet. The marriage proposal offered something Attila couldn't take by brute force or negotiations legitimacy. However, as soon as the Western Roman Emperor found out about this proposal, he forbade it from ever happening. Using the marriage proposal as an excuse, Attila invaded deep into Gaul and gathered as many supporters to his banner as he could. He invaded the territory now settled by the Germans and called them to his banner. Those who refused were cut down and their houses burned to the ground. He swept all across modern-day France and into Spain, killing all those who refused his claim to the Roman Empire. Pope Leo I saw Attila the Hun as the devil himself, and that this was the end of times. He wrote a letter to all the cities of Gaul and Hispania that were ravaged by the Huns. The letter told them that clearly God was punishing them for their sins, and if they didn't repent now and join the church, they would all be slaughtered by the Huns, for it is God's will. This letter was very powerful. Anyone who received this letter surely would have repented immediately and begged for God's forgiveness. 
If somehow they were spared from the Huns, they would remember the Pope's words. And if they repented and stood by the church and were still met with the wrath of Attila's army, well, they were dead and never had the chance to tell their neighbors that Pope Leo's advice didn't work for them. And the ones who did survive could only assume that those who perished never properly repented. A Roman general named Aetius, who spent his childhood as a hostage living amongst the Huns, now commanded a Roman army tasked with defeating the Huns. His time living among them allowed him to prepare for the Huns' superior tactics of the steppe. Aetius rode through the land and convinced his old enemies, the Germans, who he used to persecute under the Roman Empire, using Hunnic mercenaries. Only now he was asking them to join him in battle against Attila's 50,000 strong army before he turned all of Europe into ashes. It was a risky move, but the threat of Attila was great, and the Germans agreed to fight with Aetius, and together they marched out to meet Attila the Hun. On June 20th, 451, the Roman and German alliance met Attila the Hun and his army of 50,000 outside the city of Orleans in modern-day France. Because the land was not favorable for riders, Attila immediately pulled his army away from the city and rode east. This allowed the Romans and their German allies, now consisting of Franks, Saxons, and Visigoths, to pursue the Huns as they galloped east. The Huns couldn't move as fast as they once did, now that they carried more supplies and had loot to haul back, and the Romans kept on their tail. The two armies met in an open field next to a large rocky hill and a large forest, natural barriers that the horde could not penetrate. The Romans set up their line on either side of the forest, allowing them to spread their ranks considerably further out on each flank and even had reserve military forces stationed high up on the hill, overlooking the entire battlefield. With thousands of horse archers charging the Roman line, the shield wall of Roman legionnaires went up creating a wall of iron plates, shielding the Romans from head to toe. As the horse archers rode up and down the lines firing arrows at the line, getting close to the Roman wall before unleashing their arrows, a second line of Roman missile throwers unleashed their javelins from behind the front line and managed to hit the Huns with deadly accuracy and results. Although the Romans successfully defended against the first wave of attacks, it was just a distraction to allow a wave of Ostrogothic cavalry, who were with the Huns, charge across the battlefield with their lances. The cavalry plowed into the Roman shield wall and pushed the entire army back. The momentum of the Ostrogoths was powerful enough to push both shield walls back. However, the missile throwers from the second line slowed the momentum down, and once the Roman soldiers had a chance to gain their footing and properly hold up the shield wall, the Ostrogoths started to fall back. The fighting is said to have gone through the day into the night and continued through the next day. For a day and a half, the plains were filled with the battle cries and death screams of thousands of soldiers and horses, as the two sides continuously pushed against each other. The constant harassment of missiles from the Romans started to penetrate the Gothic armor. However, the center of the Roman army had fled at the sign of the attack, leaving a hole in the center, and because the Romans had advanced far beyond the forest, 
there was nothing protecting the side of the shield walls. The Huns charged into the gap in the center of the Roman army and unleashed thousands of arrows into the side of the Visigoth shield wall, killing their king Theodoric. Seeing that his center had fallen back and his right army was about to collapse, General Aedius sent his reserves to plug the center and push the Huns back to the front line. Once the Roman line was once again secured, Attila sent the rest of his reserves into battle. And for the moment, there was a struggle as the Ostrogothic cavalry tried to break through the Roman shield walls. Up on the hill, watching the battle from above, the young Visigothic king watched his father fall to the Hunnic archers, and in a mad rage charged his cavalry reserves down the hill and onto the battlefield from the side, taking the Ostrogoths completely by surprise and broke through their ranks, cutting down their entire line. Seeing that his army was losing to the Romans, Attila ordered a full retreat and camped on the other side of the river. Frankish sources report that after the battle, Attila the Hun offered the Roman army large sums of gold in order to let them retreat back to Hungary. In 452, Attila regrouped his army and invaded from the Hungarian plains one more time this time focusing on northern Italy. The citizens of northern Italy fled in panic as the horde of horse archers and Ostrogoths raided the countryside and killed indiscriminately. Some of the Latin citizens fled into the swamps of the coast and hid among the small tidal islands where they knew the Huns could not follow them. This led to the birth of the city of Venice. While raiding across the plains of northern Italy, Pope Leo I made a historic visit to Attila's court and pleaded for him to leave the peninsula and spare them from further violence. Either because Pope Leo really convinced Attila to leave or because he was already on his way back to Hungary, Attila the Hun decided to spare the Romans from further sacking. In 453, Attila the Hun was regrouping his army after a campaign in northern Italy and the Western Empire, and was now preparing to invade the Eastern Roman Empire, when suddenly he died, either by stroke or by poisoning. Either way, the death dealt a shocking blow to the Huns, and left his two sons, Alec and Arderic, in charge of the new empire. Later in the same year, Empress Pulcheria died suddenly at the age of 54, and she left all of her possessions to the poor. She was later elevated by both Western and Eastern churches as a saint. In 454, the two sons of Attila the Hun were defeated in battle when the Gepids, a Germanic tribe who were brutally subjugated by the Huns, rose up against their overlords. The Gepids' defeat over the sons of Attila led to the total collapse of the Hunnic Empire. It was short-lived but extremely powerful, and when the Hunnic Empire collapsed, the Huns either became mercenaries or returned to Hungary. After defeating Attila the Hun, the Western Roman Emperor Valentinian III foolishly executed his top general Flavius Aetius, which totally angered his men, who in turn murdered the emperor, essentially ending the Theodosian line in the West. This void of rulership in the West led to a vandal army under King Gasseric to lead a bloody siege against Rome, 
and sacked the city in a far more violent and destructive manner than the sacking in 410, which was led by the Visigothic king Alaric. In 457, Marcion returned to Constantinople after a pilgrimage to the Holy Land and died. He was 65 years old, and because he was married into the family through Pulcheria, he was considered to be the last of the Theodosian emperors in the East. There are some scholars who claim that Marcion led a mini-golden age in the Eastern Empire, but he was lucky. The fact that he ceased all payments to Attila the Hun angering the most dangerous man in the known world, and as Attila was planning his retribution, which would have been very harsh, Attila suddenly died. Had Attila not had that stroke or suffered from poisoning, he would have wrecked Emperor Marcion's parade, and history might not have been so kind to him. Leo I became the emperor of the Eastern Roman Empire in 457. Leo came from a modest background in the army and was most likely put in place to act as a puppet for the general Aspar. Aspar had a claim to the throne but was an Arian Christian and had he tried to rule the empire, the court of Orthodox Christians would have revolted. So putting Leo in place and ruling through him was a more logical plan. His wife and Empress Verena was from the Balkans, a province in the empire that had suffered terribly over the last several decades. Aspar had Emperor Leo declare Aspar's son Caesar, making him the heir to the empire in the event of Leo's death. At the time, Leo didn't have any children, and the empire needed a line of succession. In 465, a fire broke out in Constantinople, and it started to consume entire city blocks. The fire raged for three days, and in that time the emperor hopped on a boat and fled across the water to safety. At the same time, Aspar stayed behind and fought the flames in person, and even rallied the people around him to help put out the fires. Emperor Leo knew that his army, consisting mostly of Aryan German Christians led by an Aryan general Aspar, were becoming too powerful and too popular in the capital. He needed a way to counter the German influence. He started to look deeper into the empire for suitable replacements and saw the Asarians as the perfect candidates. They were from the mountains of central Anatolia and had been part of the Roman Empire for over 600 years, yet were still isolated enough that they were never Hellenized or Romanized and still operated under their traditional chiefdom. All Leo had to do was hire the warlords, and they would bring their armies with them. My name is Koji. And I'm Michelle. And this is the Japanese America Podcast. So this is where we look at all things Japanese American. We will bring alive the history, culture, and people that make up this diverse community. In this month's episode, we'll examine Koji's unique family history. To help bring this story alive, we brought on actor and comedian Derek Mio. He was reported to be extremely pro-Japanese and anti-American in sentiment. Her husband was taken into custody by the military authorities under a warrant authorized by the Secretary of War, who was his enemy of the United States. He was my grandfather on my dad's side. To hear more stories about Japanese America, you can listen to this podcast anywhere you normally download your podcast.
In 466, Leo had his daughter marry an Isaurian chieftain who had brought his army to fight for the empire. This Isaurian chief adopted the Greek name Zeno. This was a direct threat to Aspar's hopes of inheriting the empire and led to several years of internal conflict between Aspar's German soldiers and Leo's Isaurian soldiers. Because of the tension, Leo created a special guard unit called the Excubidors, which consisted of 300 highly trained Isaurians, and their sole role was to protect the emperor. In 467, Leo I installed Anthemius as the Western Roman Emperor. This prevented the Vandal King from installing his own puppet and securing the Western Roman Empire for the Germans. With the possibility of Aspar and his German soldiers teaming up with the Vandal King and his German army, Leo had to act swiftly. In 468, Leo organized another large army and sailed across the sea to North Africa to take back the fertile lands from the Vandals. It was an extremely expensive army, and when they were all killed, it was a huge disgrace for the empire. Leo almost executed the general, but spared his life because it was his wife's brother, and she pleaded with her husband to spare her brother's life. In 469, Zeno took his army on campaign in Thrace, and while he was gone, Aspar came to the emperor and demanded that he make his son Caesar to the Eastern Empire, just like they had agreed to when Aspar first elevated Leo to the position of emperor. He did so, of course, either under duress or because he truly felt he owed it to him. And the church and court elites went ballistic. How dare the heir to the empire be an Arian? Heretic, they cried. Leo had to appease the court, and he told the people that Patricius, the son of Aspar, was going to convert to orthodoxy, and then betrothed him to his youngest daughter, Leontia. Now he had two daughters, each of them married to rival factions. In 471, Zeno intercepted a plot from Aspar, and he decided to make his move. The Isaurian chief marched on Constantinople to deal with Aspar and his entire family. However, instead of engaging him directly, he sent assassins to murder Aspar and his sons. However, he only wounded Patricius, the new Caesar. Zeno had secured his dynasty without engaging in bloody civil war, and he even spared the life of Patricius and had him relieved of office. However, this act did not go unpunished, as Aspar was very popular and several mobs tried to storm the palace but they were all quickly dispatched by the Isaurian excubitors. In 472, the Western Roman Emperor was assassinated and the throne laid vacant for several months. The West was in complete ruins and the Germanic tribes were rampaging across the entire empire. Nowhere was safe. In 473, the Roman army declared Glycarius as Western Roman Emperor, and Leo wasn't going to have any of this. Glycarius had no allies to back him up and only managed to stay on the throne for a year, at which point he abdicated to the nephew of Leo and was appointed as the Bishop of Salona. In 474, Julius, the nephew of Leo, became the Western Roman Emperor, but he had very little control over his dwindling half of the empire. On February the 3rd, Leo died and left the throne to his grandson, Leo II, and son-in-law, Zeno, as regent. 
and later declared Caesar by Leo II. Unfortunately, Leo II died of dysentery later that same year. This led to immediate turmoil in the court, as now there was Nisorian warlord in the highest position of the empire. The house of Leo, consisting of Leo's first brother-in-law and his widow Verena, declaring the throne belonged to them and not the Isaurian. The people of Constantinople sided with the house of Leo because to them the Isaurians were barbarians. Even though they were Roman citizens and Orthodox Christians, they still spoke in their native language and felt foreign to the elites in the capital. They were also fairly rough individuals who would often get into fights and beat people up and even rape local women. The people had a right to be angry, but not all Isaurians were bad, and this bad reputation fueled the house of Leo when they seized the throne. In 475, the late Empress Verena plotted against Emperor Zeno to have her lover Patricius, the son of Aspar. She convinced him his life was in danger and that he needed to flee the capital, and he listened to her and took his men and left Constantinople. Once Zeno was out of the city, Verena's brother Basiliscus claimed himself emperor with the support of the elites, completely backstabbing his sister. Their plan almost worked too, until they went to the treasury and saw that Zeno had taken every last piece of gold with him when he left the city. With the throne now his, Basiliscus sent men out into the country to find Zeno and kill him on sight. While in power, Basiliscus murdered Patricius and massacred a large amount of Isaurians living in Constantinople. And while the odd massacre in the streets can sometimes be swept under the rug, Basiliscus was an open monophysite, basically a heretic in the eyes of the church. The elites and military in Constantinople started to dislike their new emperor. In 476, Emperor Zeno returned to Constantinople, and Basiliscus sent an army of Isaurian soldiers to meet them in battle. And of course, because Zeno had the treasury and was an Isaurian, the army joined him without hesitation. And this infuriated Basiliscus, but he still had another army, this one commanded by his own nephew. And when the second army marched out to face off against Emperor Zeno and his men, Zeno handed gold to Basiliscus's nephew and the promise of a promotion, which was enough to convince him to betray his uncle and join the emperor. When Zeno besieged the city, the guards inside just opened the gates, and Basiliscus and his family ran from the royal palace to take sanctuary in the church, but the patriarch denied him sanctuary. After agreeing not to execute him, Basiliscus surrendered and was sent to a small chapel in Cappadocia where they were starved to death. One of the first things Zeno received when he retook the throne for himself was a package from the Ostrogoths in Italy. Inside the package contained the purple robes of the Western Roman Emperor and a small letter that simply read, An Emperor in the West is no longer necessary. Zeno came to terms with the Ostrogothic king Odoacer and proclaimed him Patrician of Italy. This moment has been marked in history as the end of the Western Roman Empire. 
In 479, the grandson of Emperor Marcion revolted against Emperor Zeno. He led an army of soldiers through the streets of Constantinople to the royal palace and to the house of the Isaurian general. The rebels overwhelmed the imperial guards, and at one point Emperor Zeno himself almost fell into their hands. However, a counter-raid led by Isaurian soldiers defeated most of the rebels, and the grandson of Marcion and his two brothers fled to the safety of the Holy Church for sanctuary, but they were arrested before they could make it. Zeno decided he would spare the young men's lives and banished them to Cappadocia. In 480, the young Marcion gathered another army and tried to lead a second revolt against Emperor Zeno. After sending an army out to crush the revolt, he spared the lives of Marcion and his brothers another time, this time sending them to prison. In 482, Zeno issued the Henoticon, which was a clever way of uniting the Monophysites with the Orthodox Christians. It still condemned the Nestorian Christians and agreed with everything else stated at the Council of Chalcedon and explicitly approved the Twelve Anathemas of Cyril of Alexandria, but it never mentioned whether or not Christ had one or two natures. Therefore, Monophysites are no longer heretics and the eastern provinces can now get along with the western provinces and the church is saved. In 483, the widow Empress Verena tried to assassinate Illus, the Asarian general of the army and main ally to Emperor Zeno. Because of this treachery, Illus had Verena imprisoned. From jail, she managed to get word to her daughter Aredna, wife of Zeno, and beg for her release. When both Zeno and Illus refused to release her mother, Aredna hired an assassin to kill Illus. This time, the assassin wounded Illus, but was ultimately captured and executed. In 484, Illus revolted against Emperor Zeno and used his prisoner widow Empress Verena to crown one of his soldiers Emperor of the East. Zeno was not having any of this, and he gathered an army and marched east to defeat the Asuper, and once great friend. Unfortunately, Zeno's army was defeated, and Zeno himself barely escaped back to the capital. In 485, Zeno tried again, and mustered another and larger army, and once again marched off east against Anatolia to meet Illus in the mountains of Isauria. This time, the army consisted of Macedonians and Ostrogothic mercenaries. He even made Theodoric, the king of the Ostrogoths, a Roman consul, the first time a barbarian had ever been awarded the title. They met Illus in battle and defeated him. The survivors fled to a fortress in Isauria, where the Romans besieged them for four years. In 486, Theodoric turned on Zeno, besieged Constantinople, and even cut off their water supply. Instead of going into total war with the Goths, Emperor Zeno signed a peace treaty with Theodoric, recognizing him as the rightful ruler of the Italian peninsula. In 488, Zeno broke through the walls of the fortress and captured Illus and his companions. They were all beheaded on the spot. During this time, they found letters to Illus written from the Ostrogothic king Odoacer, pledging his support for him over Emperor Zeno. This enraged Emperor Zeno, and later that year, Theodoric invaded Italy.
In the same year, the suppression of the Nestorian Christians became so fierce in Edessa that the Roman Nestorians migrated into the Persian Empire. In 489, Zeno faced yet another revolt, this time in Judea. The Samaritans led a revolt against the emperor, and he personally led an army to put it down. Once he had the Samaritans subdued, he forcibly had them converted from Judaism to Christianity. He even turned a synagogue into a church. Samaritan sources claim they revolted because of the forced conversions, but it is clear that they only said that to make it look like it was the Romans who were the aggressors. In 491, after securing his empire, Emperor Zeno was able to rest. And after two years of stability, he passed away in the capital. Rather suddenly, actually. In 493, Theodoric captured the city of Ravenna and executed the Ostrogothic king Odoacer, leading to a new Ostrogothic kingdom of Italy, where he reigned for several decades before leaving his kingdom to his heirs. Although Zeno was not a popular emperor in history, it is important to note that while the Western Empire was crumbling, he managed to keep his side of the empire intact, despite facing revolt after revolt and being of an Asaurian lineage. Some even argue that Emperor Zeno saved the Roman Empire and claim him to be one of the greatest Roman emperors of all time. Without the resolve of Emperor Zeno, it is very likely the Eastern Roman Empire would have completely collapsed into smaller states, as the Western Empire had done only a decade before. Well, that's it for today. Join us next time on the History of Modern Greece. See you next time. Stay safe and stay awesome.